0: Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy! Welcome to Centerpoint Church. Thanks for braving the snow like the one inch we have, but you're here, yay, awesome. Uh, If you've never met me before, my name's Aaron Master. I'm a pastor here at Centerpoint. If you've never been to a service before, you'll probably notice we're a bit different than a traditional church in our style, but what we want you to know is we still see the Bible as authority here. We take God very seriously, and we have a goal to encourage you to take the next step in your relationship with God every week that you're here. This week, what we're doing is we're wrapping up our series that we've been calling Dear Centerpoint. And what we've done is we've looked at these letters that are in the New Testament of the Bible that were written to specific churches, Bible books such as Galatians or Ephesians or to Timothy, a church planner, in his churches. But we've looked at these letters that the Apostle Paul, or Paul, a person sent by God, what he wrote to these first and early churches. And we've seen how this insight and this correction, it was so valuable then that it's included in the Bible we have today. As we've done this all month long, though, we've seen that many of these letters, although are addressed to another church or person, it can start to feel as if they're written to us center point, or specifically maybe you even as an individual. Paul addresses some of the ways of living and thinking and societal struggles and norms that they had back then, but I'm guessing you and I know I do, that we still struggle with and get sucked into today. The series, it's, it's been really nice, actually, because it can seem as if the letters are indirect, like they're not really to us, and we get to learn kind of from afar, from other people's mistakes, without it feeling too personal. Don't you love that? Like, when it's not on you, it's on someone else, and you get to learn from them. Like, when you see one person go through a situation, and then they get chewed out, or something bad happens, you adapt, and you, like, change your response, or you change how you're going to approach it next time. Kind of, kind of like this scene, check it out. I taught school for 20 years in the inner city, so don't even think about messing with me. Y'all feel me? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's take a roll here. Jay Quellen. Where's Jay Quellen at? No Jay Quellen here? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, do you mean Jacqueline? Okay, so that's how it's gonna be. Y'all wanna play? Okay then, I've got my eye on you, Jake A.A. Ron, where are you? Where is A.A. Ron right now? No A.A. Ron, huh? Well, you better be sick, dead, or mute, A.A. Ron. Here. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's people's favorite like clip to refer to me as. Like, are you A.A. Ron? Uh- Sometimes. But today's letter, even though it's indirect and not directly to us, it's going to stretch us and maybe make you respond the way the teacher wants you to. Uh, It stretched me, this letter that we're going to look at today, and it will probably stretch you as well, Especially, especially if you're a person who likes clarity likes certainty, if you're a black and white type of person, no gray, no room for interpretation type of person, this letter will stretch you if that's you. Because I mean, who in, the, who in the room actually likes that? Like who likes to know like when you achieve something fully, like you are like, you know you're right or you're wrong. Who's that type of person? Just me? Oh, okay. Okay. There, those are my people. If you're holding your hand up, I'm guessing you are probably a math lover You probably were a math person, because math is so black and white, right? It has certainty if you get it right or wrong. We're going to do a few math problems just for fun to get us warmed up. Yay, right? Two plus two is? You don't have to participate in all of them out loud, but I like that you did. Uh, One times 5,786? Whoa, wizards over here. Five plus X equals 10? What's X? X. Five, all right, nice. How about 3x plus 4 equals 16? Whoa, now we're silent. We're getting into algebra now. Or how about this last one? Find x plus y if 2x plus 3y equals 8 and 3x plus 5y equals 13. No one's got time for that today, but it's 3 if... You're a math nerd out there right now. Anyways, math is just one example, especially in the early on levels in concepts where there's such clarity and certainty. And with it, you can just know if you got it fully right. Again, don't you just love it when you know if you met the expectation completely? For me personally, how, how I relate to that is at home, I really want to know if I've expressed enough love to my wife so that she doesn't feel unloved ever but I also want to maximize the rest of my time doing other fun things and not overdoing it. Or with my job, for example, I really want to know if the sermon example I use or the outreach idea that we attempt to do will move the majority of people or reach more so that I don't overthink it or overprepare more than I should. Or with my body, like what is the maximum amount of food I can eat on Thanksgiving right, without feeling sick, and then the minimum amount of workout or fitness that I need to do to actually get my weight back to what it was prior. I'm still experimenting with that one. I'll let you know how it goes. But it's nice, right? It's nice when you know if you did it well, it feels good. Sometimes I think it'd just be amazing to have a job like that where it's like you just know like, yep, I got it done. In my family, we call it a Jerry job, actually. It's from the TV show Parks and Rec. And it's kind of like a mindless task of, of when you can just do something, and just know it's going to be done as it should. This is Jerry, folding envelopes. It's done. Makes sense to me. It's perfect, and you just know you did it well, right? The reason I build all of this up is some of life and faith is like this, black and white. But a lot of life in living Christian, like it's not a Jerry job. And this is the type of situation Paul is speaking into in the letter to Philemon, the one we're looking at today. As we're about to dive right into it, I'm going to start by telling you the end goal of my message that you kind of like leave with. It's the summary of the letter we're looking at, and I want it stirring around in your brain all morning. And the statement is this, you should give grace that is above and beyond what's necessary. Do you do that already? Do you want to give more grace? I mean, many of us want to do what is right, not necessarily less, but do you want to do more? We see Paul, the writer of the letter, he encourages us to go above and beyond what is right in this letter. And honestly, I think a lot of us would love to be known as an above and beyond type of person, but in the moment, we're usually not. So in this it's a one-chapter letter. We're going to see this encouragement from Paul and also a progression of how to get ourselves to be more like a person who goes above and beyond. So diving into the content today, we can see that it's this letter. It's written to a man named Philemon, actually. Philemon is a person who had a church that met in his home. He was a Roman prior who was likely, likely met Paul, the person writing this letter, and was likely converted to Christianity by him. He matured to, in his ways to being a leader of the Christian church. And we know that Paul is writing to him from prison. At first glance, I'm sure Philemon, when he receives this letter from Paul, it's like, ooh, I got a letter from Paul. Yay. Like, he's like excited. I can't wait to open this. And he's feeling all positive. Like, you know, you get letters like that where you're just like, oh, yay, someone wrote me a letter or sent me a text. Yay, I love this type of thing. Like, this is, I can't wait to see, read this. And you just, like, are in awe of it. Birthday cards or whatever it is. And then the opposite of like where you're like, eh, later, (laughs) right? I'll I'll address that later. I'm not working right now. Philemon, I'm sure, was really positive to this letter that he got from Paul. But then, I have a feeling the content of it changes his mood. We're going to get into it. And FYI, it's only one chapter long and 25 verses. So it's a shorter letter, which means less to cover and hopefully shorter sermon. We'll see, Um, but yay. Uh, But but since it's so short, we're actually gonna cover every verse of this uh, letter, starting with verse one. It says this, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, who's writing these, To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is very paul fashion to start with this. He butters people up. He starts with the positives. Have you ever heard of a compliment sandwich? It's where you say something nice in the beginning. You add your correction, and then you end with something nice at the end. Uh, I feel it was invented by Paul, right? I feel like it is. Based off of these letters that we've read over this series, some of you maybe need to just take note of this strategy and start using it with your family, your friends, or whoever, myself included. But then it continues. It says, I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. All right, Paul, we get it. Stop buttering him up. Like, what do you got to say? I pray that your partnership with us as in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Okay, so this seems good and positive still, but it's kind of edgy. Like if you, if you look at it and study it a little bit, it's like a very passive-aggressive approach to saying, make sure your faith is deep. Make sure your faith is real and vibrant. It's like saying, if you really are a Christian, Philemon, of course you're going to want this deep faith. Of course you're going to want to do the faith things that I'm about to tell you. And that's kind of what Paul's laying on him. And then he starts with this. Therefore. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, we saw that Paul said, therefore, and it changes everything. And he says, therefore, in Ephesians, therefore, since you've been saved by grace... You should therefore live differently, as you shouldn't say the same. You should become, a, a, when you, you shouldn't be the same as when you became a Christian. And we saw that in the letter of Ephesians, and we saw it was a giant word. It changed the whole meaning of everything, and it's no different here. He's saying, if you are one who wants or is deep in faith, therefore... Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what, is, what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So Paul's pulling all the big guns here. He hasn't really given the therefore action yet. He's still building it by saying, I could just order you. I could just order you to start doing things correctly, but I won't. But I could. But I won't. But I could, right? It's kind of like what he's trying. He's trying to threaten him a little bit. Although being passive-aggressive does not seem to be the way of Jesus based off of my interpretation or full view of Scripture, nor it's not how we see Jesus handle conflict, it does kind of seem like the way of Paul here to be passive-aggressive. Anyways, moving on. He says this, that I appealed to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful for both to you and to me. If I'm Philemon, and I'm reading this or hearing this, I instantly roll my eyes and think, oh boy, what are you going to say next here, Paul? And with that, I want to pause us because we're actually already halfway through our letter. Uh, I know, right? Short sermon, short, short letter, but the story goes, Onesimus used to be a slave of Philemon, who either robbed him or wronged him in some way and then ran away. Now, to hear a Christian could have a slave, it might like throw you off or make you twinge a little bit. If that's you, I want to remind you, the Bible, it's an ancient book written by ancient people of ancient people. So back then, slavery was pretty common. Slavery in the context of the Bible, in in most scholar studies, it wasn't based on race, but more on class. A person who was enslaved many times chose it, or it was a way of living. They had to choose it through maybe their, their poverty, or debts, or just a life situation. And they maybe chose it to be under a rule of someone else because it might be what's best for their family or for themselves. The abuse and the poor treatment of slaves, it didn't seem as common back then as it did maybe in the U.S. years ago, but it still wasn't great. With all this said, I'm not trying to make excuses for slavery or why it's in the Bible, but this is all important to know because later on in this letter, Paul takes a stab at moving towards liberation of slaves. But anyways, what you need to know is Philemon, a Christian, right, had a slave, Onesimus, who ran away and wronged him and then connected with Paul. As you can imagine, there was probably really great punishment if like someone caught your slave, right? But now Paul, Philemon's mentor, or the person who helped start and grow Philemon's Christian faith and living, is going to tell him something quite radical that will go against culture. It's gonna go against the way the law works. It's gonna go against even the biblical law. He is going to tell him something counter to financial gain, counter to something that will help him receive prosperity or even what seems logical. And it's one that I'm sure Philemon, after reading all this in the letter, literally has a crabby attitude about. Because Paul's gonna tell him the change. He's gonna tell him the sacrifice or something of the sort. Now, I want to pause here for a second, because I've been dying to ask you this. Do I ever make you feel that way? Not that I love making you crabby, but do I make you feel or remind you that being a Christian involves sacrifice, or that maturing in your faith means changing and growing, right? It means stretching. Like, if I opened up with today's message something like this. So today, we're going to talk about giving, yee, right? Or today we're going to talk about serving more, or today we're going to talk about purity. You might be thinking, great, and then go into arm cross mode, right? Like it's kind of like what happens usually if something like that is stated. We're not talking about any of those things today, so don't worry. But this is a real thing that I want to point out, because my goal and the church, this church's goal is to pastor you towards more godliness or to more of what we see God wants in Scripture. And sometimes it's encouraging and positive and exciting, but sometimes it's not great news. It's not fun to hear or it involves discipline and change or sacrifice. Yet it's part of the job. And it's part of what we see Jesus followers needed in the Bible, like with Philemon. I think it's absolutely something you and I need today. And specifically, I want to ask you, are you letting your church or your pastor do that for you? I'll be the first to say that I need it personally. I have my own pastors, and I have my own church sermons I listen to that are maturing me and and challenging me. But are you getting challenged here? I know I'm not like the perfect challenger, as sometimes I can be too harsh or sometimes I can be too soft. But if this is your church that you attend on Sundays... I hope you will at least approach the teaching and the content here on Sundays with some sort of personal humility and attempt to listen, attempting to engage with the weekly messages, expecting God to speak to you or change you through maybe a specific verse or analogy or question or observation that's illuminated here by the Holy Spirit. That's why we gather like this, and I hope you embrace that. And I say all this, though, Because that's what Philemon has to embrace with this letter. Instead of stopping reading it and stating, now I'm good, Paul, I'm good, and like tearing it up, I don't need your direction, he needs to keep reading. And the fact that we still have it, and it's in the Bible, makes me think he actually did, right? Makes me think he actually did read it and applied this. So let's see what Paul says next. I am sending him, your former slave, who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me with me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntarily or voluntary. Again, kind of passive-aggressive Paul here. But then he says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. Wait, what? Why? That he says, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is, is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. All right, so two things are being stated in these last chunk of, of, of verses. He's saying, or Paul is saying, Onesimus has accepted Christ. He's a Christian. And then Paul is saying, you are to accept him back as a brother, Do you get how counter-culture that is? Hey, this slave wronged you, your slave wronged you, left you, but now take him back, but not not to punish him, not as a returned slave, but as a brother, as an equal. This is counter-cultural norms. This is above the expectation of the law. This is even above what God requires from his followers in Scripture. What Paul is telling him, it's not just, it's not fair, it's not even logical, really, in that moment. Anyone like fairness or justice in life? I do, I do. Does it work for you? It doesn't seem to work for me. At home, we tried fairness and justice in our house, specifically in our marriage. It didn't work. It didn't work for us. So like I tend to be the tidier one or the cleaner in our house, and I expected my wife to you know, do her fair share. She doesn't she doesn't. (laughs) We tried to determine like this equal amount and fair amount of money that we'd spend, like you spend this and I'll spend this and it's it's the same, right? That didn't work because I like to spend money. I do. (laughs) I'm the money spender. We tried to equally disperse like desserts and leftovers, like, you know, this this half's mine, this half's yours. That didn't work because like the last four years, my wife has been pregnant and she's got cravings and stuff and she eats them all. We tried to equally give each other massage or relaxation, like oh, you do five minutes, I do five minutes, like tonight. Uh, that didn't work, because some of us want it more often. Me. <laughs> In our marriage, when we pursue justice and fairness, we chase what I coined as the scorecard. The scorecard. It's this imaginary card that keeps track of who's doing what, and it's making sure that things are fair. And it resulted in frustrating, a frustrating and unfulfilling marriage for us. Maybe it works for you and your spouse, that's great. But fairness isn't what works for us in my marriage, nor is it what Paul is asking from Philemon here either. What Paul is asking is not what's fair, it's not what's normal, it's not going to bless him in some way, but it's what is at the heart of what Jesus wants from his followers. So Paul is saying, take Onesimus back as a brother. And then Paul gets really direct. He says this, So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Again, kind of a little passive-aggressive last moment there, or undertone there. But again, Paul is doing something notable and radical here. Not only is he stretching and, and telling Philemon not to just do what is fair or just, But Paul is personally modeling how to do that with his own comments to him. Paul's seen Jesus and Jesus' ways. How Jesus takes on the debts of others and gives grace and mercy to all, even when it's not fair. And Paul is saying, I will take on the wrongs. I will take on the debts of my fellow Christian Onesimus. That's what Jesus did for us. He took the debts for us. But now a follower of Jesus, a Christian, is doing that for another. Paul is doing that for Onesimus, a slave, a person he just developed a relationship with. Are you doing that with the people you're in a relationship with? Do you do that for your friends, your co-workers, your family, even, even nevertheless a new acquaintance? Do you take on the debts or their mistakes as Jesus has done for you? To wrap up the entire letter, it says this, "'I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit "'from you in the Lord. "'Refresh my heart in Christ. "'Confident of your obedience, I write to you, "'knowing that you will do even more than I ask. "'And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, "'because I hope to be restored to you "'in answer to your prayers.' Uh, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Could you do what Paul is asking here? I guess more specifically, could you give grace to the person who deserves punishment? Could you give grace to the person who's wronged you? Could you give up your legal or your biblical right even to exemplify more Christ-likeness? I mean, we can give the church answer, right? We can give the church answer right now and just be like, yeah, of course. Well, let's get really real here for a second as we do every Sunday or try to and start thinking in our own context right now. Will you give grace to the person who wronged you at work by not doing their full part in that deal that you were trying to close? Will you give grace to that kid at school who skipped out on the study project or a group work day and is now realizing, like, I gotta put some work in and they want back in? Will you give grace? Will you give grace to your spouse or your friend who made the wrong or horrible decision and you're owed payment for damages that were done to you, but you give mercy and forgiveness instead? Will you take on debts of others? Will you give grace to your family who hurt you by offering forgiveness even though it still stings inside? What Paul in this letter is showing us is, again, therefore, you and me who are followers of Jesus or at least open to God today, you and me who just went deep in God's word trying to understand the scripture, we should give grace that's above and beyond what's necessary. That's what the letter of Philemon is showing. Again, our main theme You should give grace that is above and beyond what's necessary. Again, are you doing that today? God desires it. So for our remaining time, I want to talk about how we can actually start doing this today. Uh, In that last verse, I think it's priority number one, what we start with right away. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Without Jesus with you, without his example, you won't. You won't be able to do this. You won't be able to give grace above and beyond what's necessary. You just won't be able to. We're selfish, we're for ourselves, we're impatient, we're self seeking, and we're very, very opinionated, right? So it must start with Jesus, with seeing and embracing someone who modeled it for us, who gave you and others mercy and grace when it wasn't lawful or deserved. If you don't know a lot about that or haven't really experienced that grace from God or his spirit within you, uh, you need to know that we as humans we were created by God to live with him forever. But over thousands of years, we chose to do things against him. Again, selfish or prideful choices. And this led to decay of ourselves, aging, wrinkles, not fun things, sickness, hurt, and sin. And it led to the separation from God. And it led for us to eventually die, which we're all headed towards. But God desperately wanted this permanent and eternal relationship with us. So he took the consequence of sin and decided to come to earth, live perfectly, and take on the penalty for all humans, the penalty of sin for all humans, the thing that separates us from God. And because he's perfect yet still dies, he gives us the blessing of his eternal life or the eternal life, the resurrection after we die so that we can be with God. And he says that when we're with him or unite with him, we are given that and we can be raised just like Jesus was. It's not this fair thing or just thing he did. It's just an action God has done for us out of perfect love. It's a perfect example of love. To embrace that eternal life, like, all you need to do is you just need to say, God, I need you. I need your sacrifice. I need your grace. And you can say that in your head and your heart fully. And when you fully believe it, you're set. you're good enough for God. It's this free gift of love and grace from God. But when you start to internalize that, or once you maybe have done that, and realize God would do all of this, even though it's, it's not fair, it moves you. It moves you to want to be more God-honoring. So as Paul does for Onesimus, and what Paul encourages Philemon to do, and us, because we're reading it, is to deepen and stretch our faith to grow in honoring God more. Paul teaches it's important for us to not just embrace it personally, but give it back to others. And we can do it for God's sake. So what I want to do is actually set the bar for you today. I want to set the bar for you today of how you can start pushing yourself to start doing more of it. Does anyone remember these? A sit and reach? Who does? Who remembers these? Okay, so I grew up in the 90s. We had these in gym class. Who's from the 90s? who remembers this from the 80s? Who remembers this from the 70s? I want to know when this like started. So ooh, a couple of 70s, 60s, 50s. Okay, 70s is when we started torturing children. Okay, um, but I actually, I actually have one here, a sit and reach. It's like a fancy one. It looks like a playground material, right? Like it's like, ooh, this looks fun. It's not, if you've never done one, it's not fun, but it's a sit and reach and it's meant to help you see if like you can, how far you can stretch, right? Um, and so I'll do it for you and it gets, I'm like, whoa, my legs are long, right? It's kind of like what I feel instantly, but, but like what you would do is you'd sit and you'd push and then you'd maybe do it two or three times and you'd push and you could kind of get a little further each time. My gym teachers can correct me later if I'm doing it wrong. But you'd push, and you'd push, and you'd kind of use it to see if you are flexible or where you're at. And you could get it a little further each time you push. But I think the concept of pushing that lever is a good image of raising the bar for yourself to go above and beyond. And I think it's a good picture of what Paul is advocating for from Philemon, and specifically us today. So I want to encourage you to deepen your faith by raising and stretching the bar for you. To start stretching, I want you to start being one who does better than what is legal. All right. I want you to push the bar. I want you to do what is better than what is legal. What Paul is asking of Philemon is to do something that is above and beyond what's legal, he could hold slaves if he wanted. He could punish slaves if he wanted. He could choose not to take the slave back. Yet Paul is directing him to do what is better than what is legal. There are a lot of things that are legal out there these days. There are. That you don't need to do. You don't need to do. I, I looked up some. You could own a flamethrower. That's legal. You don't need one. You don't. You could own, like you could text and drive. You don't need to. In some states you can text and drive. Uh, you can own a tank. In I think every state... You can have a pig on a plane if you want, real thing. You don't need to, it's legal, but you can. You can have a pet brown bear in some states. Don't need to, right? I I believe you can actually like send poop, like cow poop if you want to someone. You don't need to, it's legal, but you don't need to do it. Just because it's legal doesn't mean you need to do it. More realistically though, as we get serious with ourselves is it's legal to take people to court for minor damages but should you? It's legal to tell people horrible and nasty things, but should you? It's legal to get drunk, but should you? It's legal to be crude and mock. but should you? It's legal to cheat on relationships, but should you? Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's what you should do. Sometimes what God wants is more than the, what's the law or more than what's legal. If you only abide in that, You tend to function off of a scorecard, right? Again, in my marriage, I'm always looking for what's legal or just or fair. Like, you buy this, I'll buy this. Or you do this work, I'll do this work. Or you get this little massage, and I'll get this little massage. The scorecard is legal binding, but the scorecard isn't loving. It's fair, but love displayed by Jesus isn't fair. God desires his people, his people who are desiring to be his leaders and representatives, to be above reproach. First Timothy 3.2, therefore an overseer must be above reproach. He wants you to be above and beyond what's normal. He doesn't want you to just stick to the law. He wants you to keep pushing Christlikeness forward. Honestly, this is kind of how, how God, I think, has gotten what he's wanted throughout history. I've heard it displayed kind of this way before. Uh, picture a football field. Let's say Lambeau. Who's Ben? Oh, it's so awesome, isn't it? Uh, but, but here's Lambeau. Here's kind of a view of like the, the um, field. And you have like the yard lines, right? You have the yard lines there. Laws that we have are kind of like a step towards the touchdown. It's maybe at the 20-yard line or the 30-yard line, right? And it's like getting you a little closer to the touchdown. It's the start, As you think about what's going on in your life, what is something you need to do that's above and beyond what is legal, that gets you started towards the touchdown? If we go back to Philemon, it was legal back then to have slaves and to make them pay if they wronged you. Yet Paul's words or God's scripture is meant to move that football down the field to move Philemon and I think all Christians towards liberation of people, which gets us to the next point. If I'm back to my sit and reach, and I'm at my next point, point, I'm still reaching, I did it one time, and then I do it again, I can usually get a little further, right? You can push it a little further. And this next one is, if we be one who does better than what is, quote-unquote, Christian. If you're a Christian, the Bible is your direction. It's your source. It's your way of living. Everything Paul is saying Philemon should do is at the baseline of biblical direction, the baseline for how we are to treat one another. Take him back, see him as a brother, give him a role is what Paul is saying. Paul's pushing Philemon to go beyond the rigid law, beyond even what God's recommendation or specific biblical teachings say that a Christian should do for others. Do you get why? You get why he's doing this? Well, have you ever like have you ever talked to like an artist, for example? And you like started to talk with them, like a really amazing artist, and you started to realize they've put a ton of hours in and preparing and thinking about their painting and planning and starting over and over. Or maybe a chef like, who is just like in the kitchen hour after hour, cutting and tasting and dashing the smallest of ingredients, hour after hour, trying after trying, or a hunter, right? Hunters are well, they're so passionate about tracking and putting the sand in the right spot, tracing and watching and studying so that they're ready for the big day. None of those things are mandatory to be a hunter or a chef or a painter. They're not the things that necessarily like, make you, like they're not going to be a guarantee to make you a, a great painter, chef, or hunter. Just like doing above and beyond what God, going above and beyond for God It won't make you any greater to God in his eyes. But what I've noticed is painters who stretch themselves, hunters who stretch themselves, chefs who stretch themselves, they tend to be the ones that stick out. They tend to be the ones who are experienced, who have gone through the highs and lows and are still added. They are the ones who have trained. They're the ones who are growing and maturing. They are the ones who are above reproach. They are the ones who are pushing the ball forward, getting closer to the touchdown that brings the win. I don't know about you. I don't want to just be accepted by God. I want to stick out for him. I want to bring him honor with my life. By doing above and beyond what is required of him. Because when you do, it tends to push God's agenda further. Because when you see that painting, or that food, or that giant deer that that person got, or whatever, that was the end goal, you're inspired by it. You're inspired. If we go back to Philemon, Paul is encouraging him to not just be good, but to inspire, inspire others. Before we go any further this morning, I want to ask you, are you good or are you inspiring with your faith? For you, is your marriage inspiring in, in how you forgive and talk about your spouse respectfully with other people you're around or, or who you work with, the guys or the girls? Like, do you talk, do you talk like respectfully about your spouse with them? Is it is your marriage inspiring? Is your generosity inspiring in how you give or donate? Is your service, your how you serve, inspiring and in how you assist others? They see what you do often and they're inspired by it. Is your time at church, like when you're, when you're with volunteering in certain areas, is it inspiring getting other people to want to be on board? Paul, by his instruction to Philemon, is saying, don't just do good, inspire. And I want to believe Philemon did. I want to believe he did. We don't really know, but what we do know is slavery today is diminished, right? It is still around in some areas, sure, but could Philemon and his actions towards Onesimus not just been good, but inspired? Like maybe inspired others to treat their slaves in a liberating way also back then? That's a powerful thing. I mean, I think, I think of the people in our civil rights movement who didn't just do good, but inspired others. They didn't just do what was legal. It's not just what was expected biblically, but it was pushing towards the, the forward, the pushing towards the touchdown. It kept the ball moving towards the end zone. I want to keep us moving forward with one last thing as we wrap up to keep stretching us, and it's this one. Be one who seeks what is Christ-like. Jesus' actions were necessary above... They weren't necessary. They were above the law. They were above what is biblically required by anyone, the actions that he did for us. Jesus goes above and beyond. I want to say be one who does better than Christ to kind of match the other ones. I think that's like heretical maybe to say, so I'm not going to say it that way. But, but I don't know if it's even possible to be fully perfect and give literally everything up for a fully imperfect person. But I want to ask you, can you take a step towards that this week? When you look at what's happening in Philemon, you can see Paul is pushing the line for him and encouraging a push of the line to be Christ-like. But Paul isn't just one who talked and spouted it off. Let me remind you what Paul did. What Paul did for Onesimus. Paul took that slave in. Paul takes him in as a brother. Paul speaks on his behalf. Paul encourages others to take this person in. And Paul says he will take on the expenses and damages of this person. Paul is modeling Christlikeness. And he's treating others above and beyond. And he's not only modeling it, but he is, in this letter, encouraging it from people. People like Paul, the writer of this letter, are the people who change people like Philemon. And then there are people who are changed by people like Philemon. And then those people change others. And this is how we get the ball rolling down towards the end zone for the touchdown to what ultimately God wants. Honestly, this is why I think slavery is where it's at today. It was always God's intention for brothers and sisters of all races, all nations, all socioeconomics to live in harmony as equals. It just took time to get there. Today, you wouldn't make fun of a first grader for not knowing algebra or some of those harder problems we did. But as they mature and grow, just like us or people mature and grow in our faith over generations, we can eventually get to the end goal of what remains true to Scripture and what ultimately God desires. And in Philemon, I think specifically Paul is speaking to the forward movement of liberation of slaves. This is cause this this is a cause that has gotten to the touchdown today. But for you today, the question I ask, I want to ask you as you leave is the summary of Philemon, but stated as a question. Are you giving grace that's above and beyond what's necessary? Legally, above what's legal, above what's quote-unquote Christian, and like Christ-like. This week, will you give grace above and beyond to your crabby neighbor? Will you give grace above and beyond to that coworker who who skipped out on helping? Will you give grace above and beyond to that family member who is horrible, but has changed? Will you give grace and above and beyond to that person you can make pay, but you choose not to? As I close this today, I'm going to pray that we keep pushing, that in our black and white, rigid, certainty-seeking ways, that we continue to give grace above and beyond what's necessary. I'm going to pray that God helps us do that. Would you pray with me as I close this? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for giving us just a, a clearer example of how we can go above and beyond of what you're seeking from us. And when we do, amazing things happen. God, I just pray that we can continue to move the ball down the field so that we can continue to have ultimately your desires happen here on earth. Use us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.